0: Welcome to Moonshot, I'm Christopher Lawson. And ride-hailing services have become incredibly popular across the world. Uber is the market leader, with more than $20 billion in venture funding. They have a reputation for moving rapidly into markets, upsetting the taxi industry, and pushing local governments to update their laws. But they aren't the only big players in the ride-hailing space. In the US, Lyft is a major competitor with around $4.9 billion in funding. And if you look to the international markets... Companies like Grab in Southeast Asia have effectively forced Uber to just pack up and go home. In fact, Uber sold their Southeast Asian operations to Grab earlier this year. And one of the other markets that Uber has been active in is the Middle East. And they have major competition in the region from a locally grown ride-hailing service called Kareem. And today on the show, I'm at Rise Conference in Hong Kong, speaking with the CEO and co-founder of Kareem, Madasa Shakeup.
1: Kareem is the leading ride-hailing uh, app in the Middle East. Uh, we are present in 15 countries all the way from Morocco to Pakistan and in 100 cities in these uh, 15 countries. And we have been uh, blessed to have created almost uh, a million jobs uh, in the region and we're creating 70 to 80,000 new employment opportunities in the region every month for people to work on our platform and make a living. So my name is uh, Matasar Shekha. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Kareem now the place where we started uh it's uh, it's interesting both magnus and myself uh, the initial two founders were um, management consultants in the middle east and um, you know there were two things that happened um, magnus had a health concern where he had a brain bleeding um, and of course he got a second chance of life in life and one of his biggest reflections from that experience was that his mission in life is to build something meaningful and something big. So that's what he came out with from that whole uh, process and uh, I had a slightly less uh, life-threatening incident where in my last year in the consulting company that I work for I realized through some experiences that unlike you know, many parts of the world, and I lived in San Francisco for many years, where there are companies that have become very large and very global. Unlike many other parts of the world, our region, uh, and I'm originally from Pakistan, has not built uh, large, uh, you know, institutions, large corporate institutions. And there was a big burning desire in me to figure out how can we build something that will inspire confidence in the region that these things can be built. So both of us basically came from a place where both of us wanted to build something big and both of us were wanting to build something meaningful, meaningful in different ways. And we said, let's find the uh, problems to solve. Every problem is an opportunity. The bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And since we were consultants who were constantly traveling, um, ground transportation was a big, big pain point for us. So um, we quickly sized the opportunity. We realized that it can be quite significant. Uh, We knew the pain points quite well because we were customers going through the experiences every day, every week, uh, and finding it hard to uh, get reliable transport in the Middle East. So we built something that we first took to consulting organizations and professional services companies as a B2B service to uh, come on board and use us for their transportation needs throughout the region. And one thing led to another. And a year down the road, we launched the consumer app, the on-demand service. And uh, the rest is uh, geographic expansion and and growth. How did you settle on the name Kareem? So Kareem is actually um, an Arabic uh, word that uh, means uh, generous. And since uh, we were starting from a place of wanting to build something meaningful, uh, we wanted to tie this to a value that we would all resonate with. And generosity is a big value from the region. So uh, we uh, enshrined uh, that value into the name of the business. And the the idea was that we want to be Kareem to our customers, Kareem to our captains, Kareem to our colleagues, and Kareem to our community. So we call it the four C's of Kareem. Uh, Kareem to our customers means that we provide outstanding customer service. Uh, Kareem to our captains means... Uh, providing our captains with a with a holistic uh, uh, experience that looks after them and not just gives them business but looks after them and their families. Kareem to our ca- colleagues means giving them an environment that uh, contributes to their learning and making their partners in success. And Kareem to our community means driving progress in our communities. So those are the four C's of Kareem, and that's where it comes from.
0: Now Kareem has received more than 570 million US dollars in funding. 500 million of which has happened in the last year and a half. And there's been media reports this year suggesting that the company might be looking to add some more funding into the mix. As you may have heard at the top of the show, pretty much every ride-hailing company has received significant funding to help them grow and scale. But I was interested to know at a practical level what actually having this capital has done for the trajectory of the company.
1: For a startup in a large mobility space, um, growth is uh, is a true north star. Uh, growth tells us if you're doing things right. Uh, and the lack of growth tells us that we need to fix things. Now, in the early days, a lot of the growth has to come from getting the product market fit, getting the experiences right, because you don't have enough money in the early days. So the growth will come from people loving the service, bring their friends to it, coming back to it, uh, and that's really uh, the big, big focus to make sure that you can get the experiences right, you tinker, you tweak, you refine, you improve. Um, and once you reach that uh, product market fit stage, and it's not one stage, you have to keep doing it, but if you, when you reach that conceptual PMF stage, that's when you need the money to grow and uh, put uh, money uh, behind that growth. Uh, And that money basically goes into creating awareness, uh, creating incentives for people to try the service so that they will like it and they'll come back. Um, We are a marketplace. We have to do it on both sides, both for customers as well as drivers who we call captains. Um, And that's where a lot of the money goes. And as you start to scale, uh, you have another use of funding, which is building the technology platform. Because basically the basic app and the service is not very complicated. But to operate the service at scale, at the performance required, it requires very, very deep technical uh, capability, and that's where you need to start building data science, machine learning, um, and uh, complex engineering uh, capability to scale that operation. Can you talk a little bit about how
0: you choose countries to go into? Because you operate largely in sort of like the Middle East region, and how do you actually select a country to enter?
1: Good question, right? We we are from the Middle East, uh, Middle East, or the broader Middle East, as we like to define, from Morocco to Pakistan, is a region that we are super super excited about. Uh, we aspire to improve the lives of people in this region and build an organization that will inspire the next set of entrepreneurs to come and build something amazing. Um, so this is a region that we are culturally connected to, these are our people that we want to improve their lives and we want to leapfrog the region into the digital future because if you look at the last 50, 100 years, the region has been marred with conflict, uh, political strife. Um, and we've been left behind for the most part. You know, many parts of the world they created infrastructure that gave a certain quality of life to their people, um, but for the reasons I mentioned, we sort of missed out on it. So what we are attempting to do is create that digital infrastructure that can leapfrog our region into into the into the better future. And many examples, right? We were not able to build enough schools for our for our kids, um, but guess what? Now providing education doesn't have to happen in the same way that it happened 50, 100 years ago. Um, We can invest in online platforms that provide education uh, and make the distribution of that content much, much cheaper. Um, Transportation, which is a business that we are in, uh, is a similar example. Um, Europe and many parts of the world build transportation infrastructure a certain way by building subways, by building metros. But today, when you have uh, smartphones, you have mapping, you have dispatching, Um, transportation infrastructure can be built in a radically different way, in a much, much more efficient way. And what we believe we are doing in the cities that we are in is basically crowdfunding public transport infrastructure. And we're doing it in a way that, one, it's incredibly cheaper compared to traditional ways of building transport. It's a one-tenth of the cost per capita compared to a subway or a metro line. And second, we're doing it in a way that doesn't require the governments to foot the bill. Because all of this infrastructure is being crowdfunded by people that have cashed by cars, by bikes, by other forms of transport. So we're leapfrogging uh, the uh, creation of a public transport infrastructure and making the transport infrastructure in our region better and cheaper than what may exist in more developed parts of the world.
0: Now, unlike Uber, which has expanded to regions across the world, Kareem has kept intense focus on the Middle East, North Africa region. But I wanted to know what they actually understand about the region that perhaps their competitors like Uber don't.
1: You know, I think it's one way to uh, think of them as the competition. Um, But if you look at where both of us are in in the grand scheme of things, both of us have less than 1%. Of the transportation volumes combined in our cities so the the big driver of growth and the big push for growth is to figure out how do we get the remaining 99 percent to adopt these platforms and use them as a way to get from point a to point b in a much much more efficient way so while there are ways that we compete with uh, with competition which revolves around being more attentive to local needs prioritizing local needs by being faster Um, by having uh, better people that are also passionate about the region. Uh, But I think the bigger problem to crack and the bigger value to create is by figuring out that 99% that is still out there and that would still benefit from these services, from these platforms in both the convenience and the efficiency of getting around. You mentioned this already, but you call your drivers captains. So why do you call your drivers captains? (laughs) it's uh it's got some uh it's got some regional history and uh, there is a good reason the regional history is uh, we live in a region where it is not uncommon for people to have private drivers so many households would have private drivers some of them would even have multiple private drivers to transport their families around and and for some reason the term driver has come to imply someone that is one step lower than than you in the society. Uh, so it's not used with respect, it's not used with dignity. And, and given our mission to simplify the lives of people, uh, we could not see the people that were helping us simplify the lives of people being seen in the same way. So the word captain uh, is a sign of respect, is a sign of dignity. And it's also to them uh, sending a message that they need to look after the safety of our customers in the same way that a captain of a a plane looks after the safety of their uh, passengers. So it's uh, respect and to imply a certain expectation on these people um, on how to behave and how to view themselves. Now, what's super exciting, and we have been using this term for the last four and a half, five years, what is super exciting is that this is starting to become the term that is used by others as well. So, you know, a year ago, I was listening to a presentation that was done by a government in the region, and instead of calling these people drivers, they used the word captain. Uh, Recently, there was uh, an article that was talking about competition, uh, and competition calls them drivers or partners, but the word that was used was captains. I sometimes have um, uh, captains call me, and they call themselves Captain Muhammad or Captain Tariq. And it's so amazing to see that pride that they take in that title and the sense of responsibility and respect that it means for them. It's just phenomenal.
0: And we'll have more of our interview with the CEO and co-founder of Kareem, Madasa Shekhar, right after this break. Welcome back to Moonshot, I'm Christopher Lawson, and before the break we were speaking with the CEO and co-founder of Kareem, Madasa Sheker. And if you've been following the debates around ride-hailing services, and in particular Uber, you will know that there's been a lot of debate between Uber and its drivers over what rights they should be entitled to. Uber sees the drivers more as contractors, yet many of the drivers see themselves as employees, deserving of particular entitlements like healthcare and sick leave. So I asked Madasa how Kareem actually views this employee-like relationship with their captains.
1: Yeah, it's it's a great uh, question. And I think the answer to the question is quite fundamental in the way that you view the business. Now, we view them as an integral part of our service. We do not do not view them necessarily as customers. Um, we view them as part of the Kareem family. Now, what that means is, you know, we have certain expectations of them, just like we would have with people that work in Kareem. And we have certain responsibilities towards them. Um, and, and both of us, Kareem and the captains, are working together to provide the people that use the service Uh, the best possible service and look after the safety of the people that are using the service. Now, what it means for us is that we need to make sure that we look after them in the way that we would look after our colleagues, for example, more direct colleagues. Um, And we've done a few things. Uh, A lot more can be done. In certain markets, we are able to offer them health insurance as a way to look after them and their families. Uh, In other markets, we are taking on the responsibility of negotiating uh, subsidized education for their kids Uh, and in almost all markets we offer them insurance that uh, would kick in if something happens to them and look after their families so depending on the country depending on the regulatory environment uh, we want to do more and more for them and make sure that they are seen as part of the Kareem family and they're able to provide services uh, with expectations that we have on them um, as uh, towards our customers. Now, on a similar thread, driving regulations
0: were obviously changed in Saudi very, very recently, and you immediately started bringing on women drivers. How is that going? How many women do you now have driving for Kareem in Saudi, and how is it changing the dynamic between your captains and
1: the passengers
0: that ride with them?
1: Yeah, so this is actually one of the most exciting changes that are that is happening in the middle east uh, and for people that do not know in saudi until june 24th this year women were not allowed to drive and that ban was lifted and for the first time in many decades women are able to drive in saudi and what was happening traditionally is women would rely on either private drivers would rely on their male relatives or rely on services like us to transport them around but now of course they're able to drive and, and we saw this as a huge huge opportunity uh, not just to uh, get them on our platform and start using our platform to earn a living as well for both themselves and their families, but also to provide a more comfortable environment for other women who would not be as comfortable sitting in the car with a strange men. So we announced our intention to recruit 20,000 women on our platform by 2020 in Saudi. So that's our objective. And from the day the announcement was made, we started organizing information sessions to educate women on what it means to become a captain, what kind of responsibilities they have, what kind of benefits that they'll get. And about 2,000 women signed up for these information sessions. Um, a you know a fraction of them have started working with us as well. But it is early days. And the response that we are seeing from the market is just phenomenal. I was talking to one of our women captains that... Uh, that started working on the first day that this band was lifted and she was telling me that the first passenger that she had was a, another woman who was who was very surprised pleasantly surprised to see the woman captain and the whole discussion in that ride was around how fortunate uh, and lucky we are to have this ability and more importantly how amazing is the work that she's doing as a trailblazer to role model the right behavior uh, to remove the stigma of driving others from the society and how big an inspiration she is for other women so that was the first ride the second ride that she had was with a male passenger and and the and the things that I got from that ride was the person when he saw a female customer female uh, captain First, he could not believe himself. He looked at the number plate a few times to make sure that this was his actual ride. And then as soon as he confirmed that this was the actual ride, he started jumping with joy. And he called himself the luckiest man on earth to get a woman captain. So people are excited. People are excited at the empowerment that is creating um, the flexibility and the opportunity it is creating for women. And we are thrilled and blessed and honored to be a part of this change.
0: Now when Kareem actually opened up the platform to women in Saudi Arabia, they shared a blog post which mentioned a really fascinating statistic. 70% of rides in the kingdom were already being taken by women, which is a byproduct of the restrictions which forced women to find other ways to move around, and that left me wondering. Is this statistic actually just an anomaly in the Saudi market? Or are there similar trends that can be
1: seen more broadly throughout the Middle East? So majority of the customers on our platform are women. Uh, And and that's because women mobility in the region has historically been a challenge. And it's not just been a Saudi issue, the region is conservative culturally, and uh, women have not felt safe riding in non-private forms of transport. So they've traditionally relied on their male relatives to take them around, or private drivers who could afford them. And, And when we launched the service, we knew there was a big opportunity but we also knew what was holding it back, which was a safety and security concern. So we implemented a lot of um, features that would make women feel safe, and that included all the way from things such as sending messages to your family that can track a ride, making sure that all our captains were background checked and that information was available to um, to, to customers, to making sure that their details were not shared with the captains uh, before or after the ride, and so on and so forth. And once that proposition started getting known and, and and became common knowledge, more and more women started joining the platform. And the biggest transformation or the biggest impact was, of course, felt in Saudi, where women were not allowed to drive. And and we started hearing from some women that there was a pre-Kareem Saudi and there was a post-Kareem Saudi. And in the pre-Kareem Saudi, women were of course dependent on their male relatives and others to take them around. And many times. They were not in control of their schedule. You know, I I want to go to the mall, but there is no car at home. So I have to wait for someone to get done or my dad or husband to come back from work and then they can take me around. So I was literally not empowered and in control of my own schedule. Whereas in a post kareem world, I can go out whenever I want to go out, right? I dictate my schedule and others are, you know, working with me on the terms that I want to be around. So this pre-Kareem, post-Kareem notion was most pronounced in Saudi, but we hear this uh, in all other markets as well.
0: Given that Kareem has a high percentage of women using their app, and this is a result of cultural issues in the Middle East market, it actually raised for me a broader question about the importance of culture in a ride-hailing service. Uber has had some very big problems with culture in their company, and culture is something that actually takes leadership to nurture. So I asked Madasa how Kareem actually viewed culture and how they might keep a strong culture when they're working with so many employees or captains across so many cities.
1: So um, the first element of culture, of Kareem culture, is that there are no employees at Kareem. So Kareem does not have any employees. We have owners. Everyone at Kareem is an owner of Kareem. And we are building a culture of ownership. Uh, We are building an owner's culture. Uh, So, in the way that we work with each other, in the way that we treat each other, we treat each other like partners, we treat each each other like co-owners of this business, and we're all working together to realize the mission of Kareem, which is to simplify the lives of people in our region and to build an awesome organization that inspires. So, everyone that has joined Kareem has joined Kareem because of the mission of Kareem, and because of the values that we stand for. And we view culture as one of our core, core competitive advantages. Um, We believe that we will win in our region against others that come to our region because we have a strong culture and that culture attracts the right talent, the right emotion, and the right people to come and work with us. So for us, it is critically important to our success. And how do we ensure... That we build a culture uh, and and scale with that culture, so it starts by it starts by articulating the values that you stand for, because culture is nothing but a manifestation of values and the behaviors they drive. So we have spent a lot of time in the last few years articulating the values that we stand for, the articulating the values that we believe. Um, are authentic to us and that will make us long-term successful and there are three big pillars of them the first pillar is a value around ambition we want to make sure that we are not limited by by the lack of dreams and by the lack of moonshot vision so that's a core core pillar of our culture Uh, it attracts people that are ambitious it attracts people that believe nothing is impossible it attracts people that believe in constantly learning and constantly getting better it attracts people that believe in moving fast and creating having a sense of urgency so that's the first pillar of our values the second pillar of our values is around being of service Uh, doing what we're doing not because we want to become rich or we want to build a big business but we want to improve the lives of people we want to Uh, leave our customers and captains in a better state after we interact with them than you know before we found them Um, we truly truly want to uh, make an impact in the lives of people and build an organization that inspires others to make an impact in the lives of people as well so being of service um, being on the mission is is a second pillar of our values and the last pillar of our values is where I started this culture of ownership Uh, we believe and technically we have made it happen as well through the equity program that we have is that everyone is an owner of kareem and everyone should behave like an owner everyone should be treated like an owner and and that's the third pillar of our of our values so these three pillars are core to the way that we view the business and they are core to the behaviors that we try to role model the the behaviours that we expect and the behaviours that we screen for when we're recruiting people. And we believe that if we get this right, this is a massive, massive competitive advantage against anyone else that wants to come to the region.
0: A major announcement that happened at Rise was from Grab, who announced that they're turning their app into what they called a super app, something that offers the user much more than just ride hailing. WeChat in China is a really great example of a super app, and Grab are now building a platform that allows them to work with partners to provide other services like grocery delivery. Uber obviously has Uber Eats, and has also played with integrating other options in their app. But what does the future actually look like for Kareem? And can we expect them to start playing in other areas apart from ride hailing?
1: Yeah, great question, right? And I think this is um, where the where the future of Kareem uh, comes in. Now, if you look at the region that we operate in, and if you look at what we have built in the last six years, we operate in a region which we call the Greater MENA region, Middle East, North Africa. Starts in Morocco, goes all the way to Pakistan, includes Turkey. And if you look at the region, there is, we're still very early in the whole internet ecosystem. Unlike many other parts of the world where there are large established companies that occupy different segments of the internet uh, landscape we don't have much it's uh, it's it's a big white space it's a big void uh, we are already at the scale that we are at uh, the largest internet platform by engagement uh, so there's a lot of white space in the region when it comes to internet services and, and there's a reason the white space exists because the region we call it the region uh, but the region is not like the U.S. or China, which is one big market, uh, the region is highly fragmented. And to build a service that spans the region um, is very painful to build. And it's a region that, one, the region does not have internet-enabling infrastructure, such as credit card penetration, such as reliable maps, such as reliable messaging platforms, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, and even when these building blocks that you need to build an Internet business exist, they are fragmented. Every country has their own. And you know if you want to build a service that spans 20, 25 countries, you need to tie them all together and do 20 integrations versus one integration. So that Internet-enabling infrastructure either doesn't exist or it's very, very fragmented. Now, if you look at what we have built in the last five years or six years, rather, we have built a consumer Internet business but we've also built in the process is we have built a lot of the infrastructure that you need to build a consumer internet business in the entire region. So we've built a ride-hailing business, but we've also had to build an infrastructure that brings the whole region together. So our view of the future is is that we should become the internet-enabling infrastructure for the Middle East, for this region. So if you remember, for those of you who had maybe seen what happened with uh, AdWords from Google and AWS from Amazon. I believe those were pivotal times for startup ecosystem in the US where I remember building a startup in the late 90s. We had to literally buy data centers and build data centers to launch a startup or you had to budget for large marketing dollars before you can go out and do anything. What AWS and, and Google did was they democratized marketing and data centers. And in the same way or in the same vein we want to democratise building a regional internet business in the Middle East by creating an infrastructure that would make it seamless for people to build regional internet business that will target the 600 million people of the Middle East and hopefully leapfrog the region into the digital future How do you feel when you look at what you've built now? (laughs) You know we are in the trenches so uh (laughs) We, uh, we are fighting uh, every day we are uh, tackling and blocking uh, issues on a daily basis but from time to time when you get a chance to step back it uh, we feel blessed more than anything else uh, to be given the opportunity to make such an impact in the region that we care deeply about um, you know we've done things before in life uh, with in different roles in different organizations but uh, this time around we're doing something that is not only growing rapidly and is is a good business but we're also making a tremendous impact in the lives of people and building hopefully something that can inspire others in the region to build similar corporate institutions as well so we are quite blessed to be to be doing what we're doing and to be given the opportunity uh, to, uh, to do it
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Moonshot If you love what we're doing, then please share the show with your friends. We're available wherever you get podcasts, including the new Google Podcasts app for Android. So make sure you subscribe. Moonshot is a production of Lawson Media. It's hosted by me, Christopher Lawson, and also Andrew Moon. Our artwork is by Andrew Millist, and our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Keep tabs on what we're up to by following us on social media. Just search for Moonshot Pod, or head across to our website, moonshot.audio. That's all for this episode. Join us again next time as we explore more big ideas that are set to change your future.